What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my crusty, my crusty, Jesus, my trusty co-host, <laughs> Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, <laughs> you doing better than I am today, man? I am. We're not talking about crusty ass Pinocchio this week. Nah. Hard skip from Zemeckis, Sorry. baby. Sorry, uh. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Z couldn't do it. Um, yeah, Dave, I, I'm a little tired today. Stayed up to watch the Emmys. No, I didn't. I didn't watch that shit. But we're going to be talking about the winners and losers today because I, I think it's it's interesting to see where some of it uh, succeeded, some of it didn't. I definitely caught up today on the moments. It just from everything I heard, the award show was just really long. Um, hmm. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more. Unsurprising about development. <laughs> An award show being too long. Hmm. Um, we're going to talk about a few albums today, as well as a TV show we really enjoy. So hit that subscribe on YouTube.com/slash/nostalgiapod. Also go to our Twitter at nostalgiapod and follow the link tree so you can catch the podcast any way you want to. <laughs> Keenan Thompson hosted the vibes. More Golden Globes than ever. Even the setup of the room was just mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of dinner tables with like a little stage in the middle, people mingling, people walking about. I, I I liked that move from the Emmys. You know, the Globes are pretty much out at this point, so why not why not steal like the one thing that people liked about it, right? I think it's a great idea. Yeah, just uh, just be the fun one, you know. Yeah, <laughs> especially because. That. With TV, you're never going to satisfy everybody. I mean, no one's ever satisfied at award shows, but especially with how many TV shows there are and how many get nominated usually, except for this year, you're just never going to make people happy. So at least just be like a fun show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. So Dave, why don't we just start with like our main takeaways from the night? What were the moments or things that stood out to you from the Emmys? Yeah, and we did our whole predictions, talked about our nominations predictions. So this is just kind of our end cap here. The Emmys have happened. And unsurprisingly, it was largely chalk. The people expected to win did win. By my count, we had 11 correct predictions to four incorrect. And that's not like we were going out on a limb with any of those calls. They were just pretty easy picks to make. You know, um, I think the ones that we got wrong are the more surprising uh results and those are i think pretty fun and interesting but the ones that did win that we expected to win yeah i mean it's what we expected nothing more to say yeah succession had a big night ted lasso had a big night white lotus had a big night we all saw that coming john oliver he just can't be beat it's just not gonna happen right um but a couple of of surprises with the shows so lizzo I want to say, I just want to put a little feather in my Mm -hmm. cap. I said, Lizzo had an outside shot at taking this. And Big Girls Club, or watch out for the big girls, sorry, actually ended up beating RuPaul. I was kind of shocked by this, even though I I said it was an outside shot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Um, beating RuPaul, uh, that is clearly an accomplishment, because RuPaul has been John Oliver-esque in terms of running up the dubs the past few years at the Emmys. So, yeah, shout out, Lizzo. She also had a great speech. Lizzo review, if you're interested in more. And then in the acting, I mean, uh, a lot of it, like you said, was chalk. Zendaya for Euphoria, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, Gene Smart for Hacks, um, Keaton for Dope Sick, pretty easy one to call. Murray Bartlett, Brett Goldstein. Yep. Yep. Coolidge, Seyfried. Uh, But then we get Lee Young-Ye. Yeah. (laughs) For Squid Game. Oh, lead yeah. actor in a drama series. What? I love it. What I a love weekend this for pick. him. Yeah, we were expecting Brian Cox over Jeremy Strong. Strong won last time. We thought this would be the Cox win. Part of a big night for succession. Still was a big night for succession. But having uh, Lee Young-Ye beat Cox Strong as well as Bob Odenkirk in his final go-around with Saul. Very impressive win. I loved seeing a big night for uh, Squid Game. Squid Game also won for drama directing and had some creative wins already happen last week. I think it's all really well-deserved and and pretty cool to see, honestly. Uh, and that makes Lee the first non-English uh, role to win at the Emmys in the acting category. I mean, it's very, very impressive. Squid Game itself was the first non-English show to be nominated 
for outstanding series in general, but then taking a step further and actually have an actor win elite 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 uh, award is, I think, quite impressive. I mean, I mean, I mentioned it was a uh, big weekend for him. Earlier in the week, he was named the male lead in the Star Wars series, The Acolyte. Um, yep. I mean, talk about starting your weekend off hot and ending it off hot. Man, uh, can't do much better than that. So shout out <laughs> uh, to him for the come up. Definitely uh, awesome to see him pull that out. You know, Seafried uh, won for the dropout which I think we were like, hmm, who's going to get this one? I think that one made the most sense, but still yeah. really glad to see her get that. Um, Dave, what, which other ones like surprised you or were you excited about? Uh, well, I think Cheryl Sh- Lee Roth winning for Abbott Elementary in supporting comedy actress yes. over Alex Borstein and Hannah Waddingham. Definitely unexpected. I'm pretty sure, uh, if anything, her, her co-star... Janelle James was considered more of a contender than uh, Ralph was, but that's really cool to see. I just like I like seeing new people win, honestly, because Ted Lasso overall is going to win. Maisel has been very decorated already. Do we really need to see Alex Borstein win the third time, even though it was very deserving, uh, the best Borstein Maisel season? No, we don't need to see that. Do we need to see Hannah Waddingham win back to back? No, not really. So. I like seeing the love spread, especially in this case where Cheryl Lee Ralph is only the second black woman to win comedy supporting actress first since 1987. Seems like a good win. And also, I think a really nice acknowledgement of the, you know, huge hit that Abbott Elementary has become. And obviously, Quinta Brunson also got to win not for her performing, but for her comedy writing, which uh, also seems well-deserved and also a bit of controversy due to Jimmy Kimmel's uh, involvement during that speech. But uh, yeah, nice to see Abbott get some uh, nods there. Yeah. What what was your take on that whole like Jimmy Kimmel drama? Did you think there was much to it? Well, you know, I think it's just kind of, you know, I think we talked about this a lot with like bits with whether it's the hosts or other people where at the end of the day, we watch award shows to watch people. We like accept awards and give a speech that's why we're there. And if you're like doing anything to like distract from that or take time away from that, right. Jennifer Coolidge getting played off of her speech kind of notably mm-hmm. like that, that. Those that seemed like the most important thing that we want to accomplish at an award show is watching people win. Right. And obviously right. the Grammys have a performance angle to it too, but like I never want to see like the bits or the, uh, pre-recorded bits whatever they are i never want to see that get in the way of anything now didn't necessarily get in the way in it from it i'm not sure king de brunson had a good attitude about it after the fact but you know at least i mean it's a talking point i guess i don't know what did you think uh, I, I didn't really think it was that big of a deal especially when uh, king de brunson was kind of like you know nbd type of thing um i, I definitely not very thoughtful from jimmy kimmel but uh i wish the bit was just funnier you know, like if, if you're going to yep. do the, a bit like that, at least just make it funny. Uh, and I think that's the thing is he's, you know, uh, a lot of times these bits at award shows just really aren't great. So I don't know. Uh, I it felt like a whole lot of nothing to me. Uh, I, I think she's gotten a lot of love, which I'm really excited about. And Abbott Elementary is just like about to take the modern family um, like mantle at, the, at these shows and just winning comedy every year, probably. So Ted Lasso got it. I, I think this is probably the last year we see Lasso win, but we'll see. I mean, it's gonna, only got one more season, supposedly. We'll see if that's the case as well. Um, just kind of moving on here. Uh, another one I was pretty excited about and I, I thought was pretty cool is Matthew McFadden, man. Like we, we thought it was going to be the Culkin year. It's the McFadden year and I'm all I'm here for it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, when we talked about it last week, I thought that they were both equally deserving. But it's really cool to see McFadden win just because his performance as Tom is not as overtly showy as Culkin's. Roman, obviously, a much more gregarious character than Tom Wamsgams, right? So mm-hmm. to, to see McFadden win, I think, is awesome because uh, it, it's truly a tremendous performance. Uh, conversely, I, I was a, a bit disappointed that Sarah Snook didn't win for drama supporting. Yeah. Because that also meant Reese Seahorn didn't win. And in turn, Julia Garner won again for Ozark, kind of dull, kind of boring for a not good Ozark season. <laughs> so everyone says. So 
you know, you, you take the good with the bad. But yeah, I mean, McFadden winning, that was awesome. Definitely really glad to see her. And I think like you mentioned, his his role is not as flashy as Culkin's, but he definitely gets to play all ends of the spectrum here. Culkin kind of, I wouldn't say is one note, but is kind of throwing like two pitches a lot of the time, whether it's like either like totally beaten down Roman or uh, mm. completely like over the top Roman. Uh, but McFadden as Tom really gets to be, you know, kind of like sneaky, but also like docile and, and like kind of under um, Shiv's thumb. But then also when he, it's just him with Nick Braun, like he's so ridiculous and over the top. It's really like a probably a really fun character for him to play. Do so you want to make a deal with the devil? Yeah, <laughs> the best. Who needs a soul? So, um, <laughs> so just a few other things just want to shout out our guy, um, Rothaniel. Gerard right. Carmichael getting Let's the win go. for outstanding writing for a variety special. Great Easy to see win. him get some love, man. Um, and yeah, I've, most of the rest been pretty unremarkable, I'd say. Any moments that stood out to you? Uh, Zendaya, as expected, won again yes. for Euphoria, which actually makes her the youngest lead acting winner, male or female, ever at the Emmys. Wow. And just more confirmation of Zendaya's talent, not that anyone I think needs more at this point. We all know, but obviously very well deserved. Dave, just real quick, is it has there been a uh, a worse week for Olivia Wilde with all the uh, don't worry darling and then Jason Sudeikis just cleaning up with Ted Lasso at these Emmys? I mean you know boy, talk about losing the divorce, right? I don't know. I mean does this add Ooh. to that? Does this add to that though? Oh, I mean, she had a really bad week, and then her... No, I know, but like, oh, Sudeikis won for Ted Lasso? Does that actually add to any of the drama, though? I, oh, like, no, I don't think it adds to the drama. They're already just, split. Like, I don't know. Is this an L? Just, it's not I, like I, she beat I, Harry... It's not like he beat Harry Styles in a dead heat or something for the award. But that I, I suppose that's true. I just think <laughs> uh, I just think it highlights more that one person is seems to be having a really sure. uh, great, great career time this week, and one is definitely... Yeah having some problems looking so. forward to those box office receipts for don't worry darling trust me we'll be talking about that <laughs> next week or two weeks it's, from now it's gonna be actually really fascinating like does this all this drama drive people to go see it or will the reviews just keep people away it used to back in the day we'll for see. stuff i don't know if a movie like this can attract people on that alone or at least at their degree it would need to you know it's a lot of wait and see but it's definitely very very captivating. Yeah. Two other a, this saga. <laughs> two other notes before we wrap up. Uh, Better Call Saul. In the time that's been running as a show, 46 Emmy nominations. Guess how many wins? Mm, 10? Zero. Never <laughs> won. Isn't that insane? Yeah. I was, now, I was it, assuming they were like creative arts wins or something. It is up for uh, nominations next year for the second half of this final season. So we might see... Maybe a Rhea Seahorn again. Maybe she'll get like a, a belated award, but it needs to get one. It needs to get one Emmy award. Like it'd be so ridiculous for this, a show at that level to come and go and not get any love from the Emmys. But I'm sure it's, it's not unprecedented. Um, and yeah, I, I think just like I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of always the temperature check. Do we do we still care about the Emmys? You know, because we we talk about like, do the Grammys do they really matter? Like, do the Emmys really matter to you? This yeah, well, I th I think that's a great question because they've always been the least popular of the big three award shows. And despite the fact there's more TV than ever, more TV consumed than ever, the Emmys actually are even less equipped to to serve that, right? And we've talked about a lot of those factors before. The fact that there's a lot of group think and over-nominating of a smaller group of shows does not help that cause. But... You know, I, I also think that the way this calendar is set up is very antiquated, obviously based on the way TV used to predominantly come out via the broadcast seasons of the fall and the spring. Now it's a bit spread out. I don't know. All the award shows are kind of like that, though. Maybe that's not that big a deal. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I always like watching people win. I just kind of like this stuff in general. Mm -hmm. But plenty of people don't. They're, you know, just focus on the people that do like this kind of stuff. That's how the Oscars are going about this year. Just uh, work with what you got, you know? 
Yeah, I, I think the Emmys are increasingly losing influence, but not any faster than any other award show is. I think just there's so much TV that yeah. if you really are looking to the Emmys to like tell you what's good or you can't find other ways to be like, oh, this show, I should check it out. It's like just subscribe to Nostalgia Pod and we'll tell you everything you should That's listen right. to. So <laughs> anyways, uh, we're going to switch gears on to music. We'll talk about the Emmys next year. Uh, Jackson Wang. Got seven alum dropping a solo album here, Dave. I mean, you you turned me on to this uh, late addition to our docket for the week. What made you want to listen to this? Well, a I didn't know it was coming out, so that snuck up on me. There, <laughs> there we go. Jackson Wong's second album, Magic Man. You know, I think the reason he was on my radar, his solo career, as you said, got seven alum, is because he's part of ADA Rising now. We heard him on the second 88 Rising group album. And I think most notoriously, earlier this year, he lit up social media as part of that 88 Rising set at Coachella 2022, where he uh, tore the roof off and had a lot of people swooning and whatnot. So I think it's just, you know, there's a lot of hype. You know, he's been famous. He's been uh, having many fans for a long time, as you said, as part of GOT7. And I actually think him at his career is a bit interesting due to the way he's gone about it. All of GOT7 actually left JYP Entertainment and are now an independently operated K-pop group. Kind of cool to see that, how unusual that is. And then Jackson, for his own solo career, a few years in the running now with his own like label he made, Team Wong. So mm-hmm. it looks like Team Wong linked up with 88 for... U.S. distribution, not really sure the details of that, but I uh, definitely wanted to check this out, especially once I heard those two singles, which definitely did not give the vibe I was expecting. This is not like some of his earlier stuff, like some of his earlier hits. That was much more uh, pop and R&B. This is a lot more uh, rock influenced. You know, it's not like LMLY. Those new songs, Blow and Cruel. There's some guitars here, man. Very exciting. Yeah, uh, definitely not what I expected um, turning this on. And though I didn't really love everything about the album, I felt like there were probably like four or five songs that came away being like, oh, that's pretty great. Um, And and I think it was interesting because before I really like did a little bit of a uh, more research on to like who this guy actually was, I kind of just went in blind listening to it. I thought it was like I thought it was like an interesting almost like bridge in a sense between like more modern, like rock leaning pop sound into like a more like traditional, like guitar heavy rock sound. And I was like, you know, there's definitely like elements I hear of like some like seventies, like more classic uh, rock guitars in here Um, a little bit more like washed out, like nineties grunge at times. And so it almost felt like, you know, like it's like this guy is trying to um, not only make an album that is, palatable to today's like younger people who maybe aren't as inclined to rock music but also like be true to like probably some of his bigger influences and then finding out that he's a k-pop alum i was like man i didn't i don't know where this came from but i really love this this is just uh i'm really impressed that he went this route so i was pretty pleased yeah pretty reminiscent of the j-hope solo album that we just heard obviously um but yeah i mean I think that's what has really grabbed me was listening to blow and listening to cruel. You have these like th- these really sick guitar riffs and then Jackson's, I think his vocals, like the, the performance it, it is really committed on those songs. And then I think the next three songs as well, champagne, cool, go ghost and drive. Like you stole it. They're not quite as, you know, hard as blow and cruel, but still kind of rocky. I think Go Ghost adds some more synth production there. And there's just like some really fun flourishes on some of these tracks. I think the pre-chorus on Go Ghost is incredibly catchy. And then on Champagne Cool, his performance on the chorus is just, again, like really engaging. The last five songs, I think he slows it down a little bit. I'm not quite as interested. But those first five, I was like really digging. Yeah, I, I, it's actually funny because I I, th- I would go one song later to come alive and say like mm-hmm. that's kind of where the cutoff is for me. Uh, like, drive it like you stole it and champagne cool it didn't really grab me as much. They're a little bit more like eighties dancey sounding, but on come alive, there's that build up that leads to the chorus with like the guitars just kind of like 
I don't even know. They're just like bending around his voice in a really cool way. I, I thought that was a really fun song. I think the clear standout to me on this. I mean, Blow is is good, but Cruel is the clear like one for me on this. And I I just loved hearing these like kind of guitars on like a K-pop album. I was like, yeah, oh, this is especially after some of the ones we've been listening to recently, which have been a little bit more like in that traditional K-pop mold of like more mm-hmm. like EDM sounding. This just felt like such a, a breath of fresh air in a sense. So really excited to see where he goes next with all of this. Um, any other tracks you want to shout out or? No, I, I think those are it. But um, it is just really cool to hear someone who it's not like he had taken a big break between music, but he really switched up his sound over the course of the last you know year year and a half really cool to see and i'm uh looking forward to hearing more and you know seeing what his role on ada rising continues to be as well well we're gonna add a song from magic man to our nostalgia best of 2022 playlist so follow that on spotify let's switch it up now to yeet going from uh k-pop to london uk rap dave not london bro what where where is he from is he he's from from portland oregon (laughs) stop yeah (laughs) he's not british yeah i mean i gotta say like he when when you told me to listen to yeet this week and i as as many of you know like this is dave usually is like okay here's the albums i think we should listen to i'll check out like the ones that i definitely know first i'm like okay i'm gonna fill in these ones Yeet was not somebody else aware of or tuned into. So my apologies to all the big Yeet stands who are finding this video. You're a big fan of the gentle minions trend on TikTok. <laughs> Surely you've heard Rich Minion off the Minion soundtrack by Yeet. No, is that really this that's this guy? This is that's incredible. <laughs> oh yeah, I, dog. I do love the the gentle minions trend. That's a, a great trend. Uh if we were in college, we probably would have done this. Um yeah, I mean, Dave, you you wanted to listen to this. I'm going to give you the floor. Like, what made you interested in checking this out? Yeah, well, it's not so much that I was interested, more so much that I think Yeet is a, one of the most significant new faces in hip-hop over the last, you know, year, year and a half. Um, he only really exploded back half of 2021. He had a big hit, Get Busy, on TikTok. Really just, you know, like a classic TikTok hit, just... One little quotable in a song becomes a trend, becomes a sound, and he explodes. But he has actually a lot of music out to this point. And if you listen to him, it is abundantly clear that he is kind of the next evolution, next step, next entry in that kind of rage beats, whole lot of red, Playboy Cardi type thing that is a big subculture, big subgenre in hip hop these days. And we talked a lot about whole lot of red when that came out. And it's definitely, you know, even like someone like Little Uzi Vert, who dabbles in that kind of sound from here to there on his new EP. We talked a lot about Cardi and why we didn't think it was super effective, right? (laughs) At least not with any semblance of consistency. And it has just been interesting to me to see like this sound continue post Whole Lot of Red, which was a very successful album for Cardi, of course. And here's someone new really come out of nowhere in Yeet, a white guy from portland who wears turbans like it's we got a lot going on there but you listen to him and it's like you know what like vocal the vocal performance is quite obviously indebted to future and thug and then you're taking the sounds of cardi and that style of autotune that style of production and it's like huh why is why is yeet uh becoming successful in his own right he has a lot of fans now we talked about this earlier this year uh, he turned down xxl 2022 because he was that big already and he would have been like the the guy you know alongside nardo wick if he was on the cover this year that's how uh, rapid his rise has been and i think it's just kind of interesting to try and analyze this music that's clearly for the kids 15 year olds like he yeah. <laughs> you know 100%. and that being said, some of his other hits, you know, sorry about that. I don't know, that one's pretty fucking catchy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but this sixth EP of his life, did you have anything that jumped out to you on this? To me, it sounds like his other stuff. So I don't think like this certainly would not change your opinion of Yeet if you weren't already in, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and I think 
like my my main two observations in listening to this, and I wouldn't say I loved the album, but there were moments that really stood out to me, was that they made some like very specific production choices in terms of how they tuned his voice and at times like leaning into certain instruments like really taking over songs like i can't stop it the drums are so clear and crisp on that song and i'm like man this this fucking banging like i love this but they they basically like fade his voice into the music so much that it's like uh, it's almost like uh i think they forgot to like mix that up a bit because i can't even make out what he's saying a lot of time but i mean that again hello how do you do fellow kids like this is someone probably twice the age of the demographic they're going for and maybe that's just what <laughs> 15 year olds like today and that that's fine um I, I think like there's some really interesting production at times and i think like whenever I hear something that sounds like super modern in some way, my like first thought is, Oh, the Dylan Bradyification of this thing, which is not always correct, obviously, but something like up off X, like sounds mm-hmm. just so like, like futuristic and like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like washed out in the most like auto tuned way possible that it's actually like, kind of like interesting to listen to. And I found that to be pretty engaging. Um, come on is kind of similar but that's a little bit more like bouncy and clubby in a sense that mm. there's some tracks on here i didn't mind but there wasn't a lot that i was like man i can't wait to run that one back or add it to the playlist mm-hmm. yeah i'd say honestly one of the most interesting songs to me was crank mm. and that's really because it's at his most clear at his yes. most almost conventional and because that's unusual for him i wonder if that is perhaps a step forward for him i don't know We'll have to hear hear some more music to really figure that out. But ultimately, like I get bored by a lot of his music more than I'd like. And that's kind of my view on a lot of this like rage beats style hip hop is like this shit's actually not that tough. This shit's actually not that cool. Like this could be way harder. This could be way more energetic. And the, the vocal performance could certainly be way more lively than it actually ends up being. And I, I kind of would love to just hear him take it further. You know, I think of like someone like Mario Judah, that guy at least fucking puts some passion into his vocals, you know, not that I always like his stuff mm-hmm. either. So yeah, I, I think it's just, it's just kind of uh, interesting to see how, how stuff comes up, I guess, you know, um, one of his songs was on uh, euphoria this past season, actually, which is honestly a really tasteful, uh, poignant song to drop in for a show like that to be honest it's like the most relevant song they put into that show it's usually like <laughs> here's a deep 90s cut that no one from this generation is actually listening right. to it's like cool yeah it was uh i think it was elliot was listening to Yeet in his car when nice. he like was with hunter schaefer or something um also i just just to side note like i love that Yeet like regularly references tonka trucks you know the childhood <laughs> toy i love that that's like one of his like bits his trademarks that, that that's hilarious <laughs> you know just a, one other track that i think similar to what you're talking about crank was out the way where he's a little bit more like he's a little bit more toned up up in that a little bit more clear and the production flourish isn't that or like i don't know it very interesting there's like just these like weird like synths just kind of like flying out of nowhere on it a lot um but i, I actually like have thought the, the production on a lot of this was kind of interesting so you know when you're a rising star like him you get to work with really good people and it sounds like He's uh, just on the trajectory upwards, so I'm sure we'll be hearing more from him. Dave, we're going to add a song to our Nostalgia Best of 2022. I'm leaving it up to you. Yeah, might as well. Throw Talk on there. That seems to be the the hit so far. Check out Talk on our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist uh, on Spotify. Let's move on to Sampa. Sampa the Great. Um, Man, I, I have to say, out of all the albums we listened to this weekend, I think this one surprised me the most. Um, only because I, I think going into it, I wasn't sure exactly what I was hoping to get out of it. But as above, so below, really just like impressed me with like the level of artistry and variety on here. And Sampa just sounds really great. And, you know, with a lot of these albums recently, I feel like I'm drawn more to the tracks where uh like the artist is collaborating with somebody and certainly there's a few tracks on here where sampa is collaborating that really stand out but i feel like when sampa 
is like on her own, like a song like Low Rain or Bona, I was really like uh really impressed. I guess Low Rain she does have uh Wanjay on there. But like uh more so I think just singing the track the the hook. But Bona really like mm-hmm. stood out to me as like, hmm, Sampa's got something here. So I was really impressed with that. What was your overall takeaway as on as above so below yeah yeah i think that that's spot on sampa the great not to be confused with the great r&b singer sampha uh, <laughs> well done zambian rapper slash singer who's now based in australia after spending some time studying in the u.s as well um, one of the most celebrated artists out of australia the last few years hasn't made a big name over in the States, but has won the Australian Music Prize twice, I believe. And this is her second record, second second album, first since uh, 2019, I believe. And yeah, you know, I think it it's one of those albums that at times I think it's a little, little dense, a little um, filled up with things things going on. But on the other hand, those things are all like really specific right it's like all this like range of instrumentation on the songs or uh, like really intentional use of background vocals that are trying to give you that zambian vibe you know Mm -hmm. um literally they're zambian singers you know it's like there's i think a lot of a lot of touch and a lot of intention on this album and i found that there were times where i was probably just kind of respecting the craft and the art more than I was necessarily enjoying all the songs. Um, I do agree on Bona though. I think yeah. that one is really awesome. And I would, I'll have to say Sampa, the greats delivery on that track reminded me of someone I hold in very high esteem, which would be little Sims. I think the mm. rapping on that's very yeah. familiar. Great call. And, you know, I think there's some really fun touches on here, but there are other times too, where like, I, I just got a little bit lost. And I think the, the track list, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if it, it all came together totally for me, but I mean, man, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of thought put into this record. No question. Yeah. It's, it's definitely certainly layered. And, um, you know, she really switches her style up like Bona. She's, I, I think like you just alluded to like going straight rap and really, delivering and there's that switch up at like the minute 30 mark of the song where it it like just goes to like this like i don't even know the i guess like the the instrument i i think it is is like some sort of like piano tuned in some way or maybe a synth but like it's it's super unique and something i feel like we we hear a lot but i can't really put my finger on it but that that switch up is great and she just rides on it the whole time a few tracks earlier you get a song like never forget with chef 187 to Nason and Juan J again. And I really loved that. That has like a true Zambian feel to it and like Afro beat sound, which I thought was really fun and brought a lot of energy. And then, like I mentioned, one of my favorite tracks later on is low rain, which is like pretty straight, like R and B, um, you know, like, like someone else we're going to talk about in a second, but she's just, crushing this sound as well and crushing the singing on it and it's like man her her range on this um is so impressive you know not only switching up genres but switching up different influences and sounds so seamlessly and um while i I didn't find myself like enjoying every single track or wanting to play every track back i was just like man for what i went in expecting for this she totally blew my expectations out of the water so really pumped to see that any other songs that stood out to you or any other moments on this uh yeah i'd say the the vocals on what is it i don't give a fuck idgaf there's like background vocals on there really grabbed me i like that one a lot um on lane yes on lane denzel curry song i thought like the the way sampa herself was performing on that almost kind of gave me these like chanting vibes i thought that was really really cool really engaging um and yeah, I mean, across this album, you'll hear multiple languages. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's definitely something that will reward uh, spending a lot of time, I think, sinking in with it. So be curious to see if Sampa the Great continues to, you know, 
spread her wings with other people. I mean, she does have Denzel Curry on here. She does have Joy Badass on here. Powers yep. Pleasant made one of the beats. Like those are, you know, Americans. So they're <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see. I, I suppose because it sounds like she's uh, still based in Australia, but spent a lot of time back home in Namibia during the pandemic. So she's clearly trying to serve that sound from yeah. her from her roots so i wonder if that's that's still the case moving forward you know she clearly yeah, yeah. has the talent to do all kinds of stuff to speak to that um the last track let me be great really reminded me of burner boy a bit you know it has like this really triumphant feel like a, like a lot of the stuff off boy says tall in a sense and you know it brings in like the horns and it has this like real african influence to the song and it's just a really fun ender and bring so much energy you kind of want to just like run everything back so um i'm really impressed to see with this and i'm really interested to see what the next step is for her so um we're, we're going to be adding a song from her to our now such a best of 2022 playlist but highly recommend checking out uh the new sample album as above so below but dave i alluded to a R&B artist that we're going to be talking about and Ari Lennox dropping a sultry, sultry album, age, sex, location uh, looking like an absolute queen on the cover here. Um, just mm-hmm. absolute fire and I mean it's been a little bit since we heard from Ari, What, right? Like a few years now, I think 2019 20. was Correct. Shea Butter Baby uh, really solid first full length album um and I, I i wouldn't say i was like eagerly anticipating ari i think like when i think about her peers there's a couple of others that i probably find myself wanting to hear more from but ari kind of in my mind had fallen kind of into like the middle tier of these like r&b singers in a sense and i, I think that's kind of unfair because i think she shea butter baby was a really solid like debut and age sex location i feel like just like reestablished her as like you know, top tier in this, in this realm. I was really impressed with it. How did you feel about the album? Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, g- coming, leading up to this, we've been enjoying, I think, Ari Lennox features whenever they pop up, but this was a clear level up from Shea Butter Baby and just, I think, a really confident, sexy R&B album, you know, mm-hmm. simple as that. It's just, it was just really good, <laughs> you know? Long uh, just established that Women run R and B. We know this, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of plenty of choice there. Um, the male side things not not so much to to listen to beyond like Giveon and Brent Fias. We already heard this year. Women though, they just be dropping heat constantly. Ari Lennox, <laughs> the latest one, and yeah, I, I thought it was very confident, very very capable, and she just sounds great on it like the entire time. Yeah, it, you know I. I, I don't know if there's like a skip on this. I feel like there's maybe songs I liked more or less. Uh, I think the first track that I really like stopped and was like, Ooh, that one just totally caught me was waste my time. The third track, um, man, just even like to start off the first, like words she sings other than Ooh on it are no dick making me stupid. No funny Valentine loving me from loving from Cupid. Um, just like what a first line to draw you in. And then she's just absolutely gliding over this beat, singing so gorgeously with, uh, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it's her own vocals in the background or um, hired background vocals, but it all just like swirls and twirls around itself to like really make this beautiful, beautiful track. That was a clear standout to me right off the bat. Um, A couple other tracks that I really liked, um, Boy Bye featuring Lucky Day, I thought was Mm. a clear standout outside was like such a funky track near the back half of the album and uh a little bit earlier on pressure is like super like playful and light and like she's just like switching it up throughout this in terms of tempo in terms of goal of the song and she's just like really crushing all of it just super impressed with all the whole album yeah no i totally agree boy bio lucky day just a really awesome uh duet Mm -hmm. you know uh Conversely, I think Chloe Bailey was a nice compliment on yeah. Leak It. Uh, Chloe, probably, I don't know, a little edgier on the R&B 
type of thing, so it's like a nice contrast. Although, not that Art Atlantic's necessarily shying away from any of that kind of stuff either, I suppose, on this one. Uh, I totally agree on Outside. I thought that one was just really great. The way she, uh, Ari Lennox sings some of those like long notes sounds yeah. tremendous. And the post-chorus in particular is really great. Um, really right off, the, right off the bat with uh, P.O.F., the uh, chorus from Ari Lennox just has like such like volume to it. Like I'm not quite sure if it's like layered vo- on, on vocals or not, but it's just like a really like rich piece of singing from Ari Lennox, maybe because it's her singing on top of each other herself i don't know but that one sounded really good too um also stop by i I Mm. dug as well yeah we named like more than half the songs on this so (laughs) i I think pretty much our takeaway is ari lennox is back and she's still great and uh she deserves i think more more love than she gets um yeah, I mean, it's funny because like you like you mentioned, there's a few features on here. I think Lucky Day is great. I think Chloe's great. And actually, like probably the one I liked least was the one with Summer Walker at the end of the album. But I still thought it was like a pretty solid like showing from Summer. So it's not even a bad mm-hmm. one. It's just like the worst of the three, I guess. Yeah. You know, interestingly, at the beginning of the year 2022, Ari Lennox had really expressed some frustrations with her label and had wanted want it off you know i'm not quite sure if that is directed at dreamville or more as like the parent company of interscope i'm not really sure obviously how would i know but um it is kind of interesting to see that pop up because our lennox is the only woman on dreamville and you know for a time the only woman on tde was SZA, who's basically doing the same going through the same thing obviously ari's peer in r&b i don't know interesting thing to keep an eye on i guess but this album seems to be getting a lot of love cole, cole tweeted about it still so hopefully there's no bad blood there at dreamville but um yeah i mean dreamville did 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 the thing really good job this year we got the earth gang album got the jid album now i got the ari lennox album you know all, all their uh chief lieutenants after cole delivering and delivering some heat for us no question yeah, no, uh, Dreamville definitely coming through this year. Really appreciate them. Um, you know, I was, just, I was just thinking, like, is this the best R&B album we've gotten this year? I really love the Brent album, but mm. it's these those two for sure, yeah, I'd say. I think this is above that for me. But yeah, it, really strong showing. Definitely check this out. Um, anyways, we're going to be wrapping up music today with someone that we've only gotten to talk about one time on this uh uh back in 2018 Dave, we talked about santa gold's i don't want the gold fire sessions and i think we just talked about it, like because we don't really get a lot of santa gold like <laughs> she hasn't dropped like a, an album proper in about six years you know the I don't, I don't want the gold fire sessions had a few new tracks on them but it was a lot of like running things back or remixing yeah. things mixed state material so to get a Santa Gold album in 2022, pretty special. I mean, back in back right before we got to college, Santa Gold self-titled album dropped and immediately, immediately put her on the map, right? Like that whole album is just an absolute classic, but LES Artistes, uh, you know, Lights Out, like there's so many, uh, you'll find a way, like there's so many tracks off this that are just like absolute heat where does Santa gold like even like sit in your, in your brain? You know, like where, what's her standing in your eyes? Yeah. I think it's a really good question because she's such an enigma. She's seemingly rarely around. So (laughs) hard to place that. And as you said, I mean, she's in her forties at this point. She's the, the, the peak of her career, peak of her commercial viability was long ago, as you said. So I don't know. I kind of view her similarly to MIA. Mm-hmm. where they both kind of at that time back then occupy this kind of like iconoclastic forward thinking genre bending type of music making mm-hmm. very different artists for sure. But, you know, I don't really listen to a lot of the kind of like reggae fusion stuff that Santa gold made her name on anyway. So it's not like this is a scene that I'm like, closely following and then when Santa Gold pops up it's like oh yes my queen has returned it's not really like that you know <laughs> I, I just kind of view her as like a bit of a, 
bit, bit of a ghost. I don't know. It's like, I don't want to say she's an unknown because she's clearly not, but it's like she really just dips in and out, you know? And yeah. she'll get sampled once in a while, not as much anymore, you know? And so I think it, it definitely means a lot, though, to have her release a full-length album. And yeah. just because you don't really know what, what that's going to mean. Yeah, you know, it for me, I, I really think of her kind of as like this just a, a ghost is an interesting way to put it because i think like she her presence in my mind is like ah oh, santa gold like can't wait to listen to this i know it's going to be interesting i know it's going to be inventive and creative but because we get so little it's pretty easy for her to just kind of like fall to the wayside in terms of things and i, I certainly like love whenever i come across uh, a santa gold track on a playlist or on like a radio thing i might be listening to from like the 2000s but i don't find myself going back to her a lot um and, but whenever i do i'm just like oh yeah she she ripped she's great and so we get spirituals you know 14 years after her debut album and i gotta say man like i still think she fucking rips like <laughs> these songs <laughs> are a lot of a lot of fun to listen to they're really interesting uh, I don't think it's a perfect record, but uh, there were a couple of tracks in this that I just was like, yeah, Santa Gold still got it. I, I just want her to make music more consistently so people know, you know, so that she can establish herself more. But it doesn't seem like that's really her interest. So I, I don't I don't give her uh, don't knock her for it at all. What was your just general takeaways from the album? Yeah, I, I think that's right. There, there was definitely some cool stuff. I think more than anything, it's just like this is unique. This doesn't really immediately remind me of anything I'm hearing, it definitely doesn't sound like she's compromising herself in any way. As you said, no. she has assumingly long given up on mainstream success, yeah, viability, success. stuff like that, for sure. So just kind of just taking it for what it is, I think is a, a lot of fun, you know, of hearing the press seemingly Santa Gold is very inspired by black folk music, but it's like, like I, I think I can get that from like some of like the vocal performances. Of course, that's this is not folk music though. When mm -hmm. when you when you listen to it, and I think you still hear a lot of her kind of trademark stuff in the past, which is this kind of atypical electronic music, you know. But it's not not as not what you immediately think of when you think of electronic music either. But like it's kind of a lot of a lot of different things going on, you know. I think uh, her vocal performances on stuff like uh, like High Priestess. It's like really oh, lively yeah. chorus, you know. It's like that. I think that that's where I think of someone like MIA, which is like that kind of vocal performance. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think when when she can really expand her vocal range over like a really thumping like bass line or something like that, that's like MIA in her bag. Sorry, MIA. Wow, look at that Santa Gold in her bag. Um, I also associate her with MIA, so I was glad you said that earlier. Um, but yeah, like the two that stood out to me were High Priestess and Fall First. And that's kind of what she's doing on both those tracks, right? Is there's this like thumping B or bass line and she's just like stretching and twisting her vocals all over it. And it just sounds really awesome. You know, I really love on Fall First how it's her singing at this lower range with her kind of like own vocals in the background, kind of like making this like high-pitched ooing over it. And it really creates this like, almost like creepy feeling but like in like the best way possible um you know a, a track that i was surprised i liked as much as i did was shake you know it's a bit more of like a like a groovier like kind of like churning song but it's sbtrkt produced which i was like oh. uh, i was really kind of like surprised to see her like uh i don't know working with him for some reason just did not expect that um you know a couple of like other people working on this with her are like doc mckinney who's like worked with like uh the weekend and stuff and and i think that makes sense but like sbtr kt i just did not expect and i feel like that song really surprised me and i really enjoyed um any other tracks that stood out to you i like shake as well too yeah it's a, it's a short track too but it makes a nice impression uh i like there's a no paradise i thought the the mm. vocals on that one just uh just very catchy um yeah uh, the drums as well, almost like a, the vocals are almost like a, like a call and response, like the way the yeah. way you hear it. Thought that was a lot of fun. Also, uh, nothing. The production mm. on that I thought was pretty engaging. So yeah, I think it's uh, 
think like like all the other past Santa Gold records, it's like, oh, there's a lot to a lot to listen to here. Probably just because more often than not, it's not going to be immediately familiar yeah. to other artists. Might be familiar if you're a Santa Gold fan, but that's probably because you're just comparing it to her other stuff. So uh, definitely, uh, just cool to have this, you know, come out. I wonder if she'll do like festivals next year. Yeah. Also, just want to shout out uh, Rostam from Vampire Weekend real quick, who has some writing credits on this. Um, he's he really like left Vampire Weekend and just makes the music he wants to make. And he works mm-hmm. with some really interesting artists. I feel like he's not in his uh, he's not in his uh, Jack Antonoff moment yet, but I think eventually we're going to get a, a Rostam moment. For right. him, he's so. had some solo albums recently. Yeah, so I think we talked about one that was just not interesting, yep. but uh, <laughs> on the on the writing production side, I appreciate him. So, anyways, uh, that's gonna wrap it up there for music. As always, as I say at the end of every review, check out our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist on Spotify and share it with your friends to stay up to date on all the good music. But Dave, we're ending today talking about the show that should that should have won for best comedy series at the Emmys. Mm-hmm. The still the funniest show on television, and uh, significantly funnier than a show that doesn't make me laugh all the time. Ted Lasso, <laughs> and it just reestablished that with its most recent season, season four. Uh, we talked about the first couple episodes, and now that I've seen the whole fourth season, I can just reassert that what we do in the shadows is by far the funniest show on television. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's much competition. Uh, what did you think of this season? Were you satisfied? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, at the end of the day, what we do in the shadows is a 30 minute comedy that routinely makes me laugh. I am just constantly entertained and pleasured by my company with this gang of vampires in Staten Island. It is a show that hasn't changed as much as it's perhaps suggested it might at times, but at the end of the day, I really don't care because I'm still having just an absolute blast with these people. Yeah. To to see where the season ended and kind of just almost to feel like Nadja uh, hypnotized us and it's just like running things back. Like this season didn't even happen. It's just like so ridiculous and just like so par for the course for the show. But man, I mean, like you don't like, you just don't get comedy episodes like the wedding. On, on other shows like other shows just don't fucking do that they go to places and talk about things and like show things that like other shows just don't like and it's just like they always pull it off in like the best way possible they have like the best running bits but they never let them get too long like the whole thing with the gin at the, yeah. the first half of the season was so fucking funny like i i just wanted him to be around more he was so great um and yeah i mean the, the final episode to kind of like not only I think pull off and they did this last season too so I, I don't know why I felt surprised but to pull off the show being really funny but also being like sentimental and heartfelt and like kind mm-hmm. of like still showing that these characters like really do care about each other and like how they do kind of grow in certain ways but also don't in certain ways is just like really impressive to have that as like a second or third layer to the show in general. So just really impressed. Tell me about the episodes or moments that stood out to you most. Yeah, I agree about the wedding, Thought that was a great one. Um, they bring the Baron back. Thought oh, that was man. a nice callback. See, seeing the Baron in like his like form again. And like, yeah, <laughs> I forgot what he looked like. Yeah. And also like when Nadia is like, yeah, we, uh, we hooked up in the closet <laughs> Matthew Barry's like, is it as good as you remembered? And he's like, she's like, oh yeah. And he's like, I think I'm gonna go uh, have my moment with the Baron. <laughs> Baron's like, I've been meaning to talk to you. Oh man, that whole like back and forth, I was just dying laughing at. It. So good. Yeah, uh, I, you mentioned the gin, uh, the genie wishing is just, just great. I think everything with Marwa was uh, was pretty good too, and this Nandor's. Uh, continued reluctance and displeasure with actually marrying this woman mm-hmm. um they doesn't they just really know how to play it pl- play like revolving bits like that for steady humor even like just kind of like flashy like visual stuff like the wraiths just kind of being around and like murdering people in the beginning of the season that was really fun nick kroll coming back into the four nice call back there yeah um you know stuff like that I think everything with, with baby Colin Robinson really uh, hit the mark for me too. You know, yeah. as you mentioned, that was a really 
heartfelt, sentimental way that season three ended, you know, uh, just because Con Robinson, one of the best parts about the series, Mark Prosh playing the energy vampire, just a great kind of like antecedent to like the other vampires, literal energy, you know, and then to have him go at the end, it's like, oh, fuck, I love this guy. I don't want him to die. <laughs> and then he doesn't actually die. Not really. And we just get exposed to all these new jokes where in the beginning, Laz is treating him like a dog, the way he's <laughs> taking care of him. And then he's exploiting him for for money as a song and dance man, you know? <laughs> it just the way the way that and then then of course things aren't going as well as he continues to uh progress and hits puberty, you know. It's just uh pretty 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 good stuff. I thought the episode when they're trying to send him off to private school oh and my they God. over-hypnotize these these <laughs> civilians. That that was absolutely amazing. That's like a classic example of a comedy that um, must have done ton, tons of improv and riffing, and they just kind of made that episode in the edit because they clearly just filmed scene after scene right, at, right there. At the end when they tell you that the principal died of a of a stroke like shortly after, and they're like, you know, usually like a human civilian can take like six hypnotizations in a day, and we hypnotized him four hundred and like sixty eight times. I just like that. <laughs> Such a ridiculous like, oh man, just so so well executed. Yeah, I I really loved all the stuff with uh baby Colin Robinson, and then to like see him grow by the end, and like see how Laszlo really like actually took to being a father, and really like enjoyed that in some way and actually got something out of it and how sad he felt in the final episode that Colin Robinson couldn't remember any of it I thought was uh really like kind of moving and like really well done also kind of like setting up Nadja as potentially like having this like uh drinking problem or you know like spiked blood problem however they want to frame that um also her attempting to put out uh get all the insurance money off of off of the nightclub when she didn't even have insurance and then finding out that the blood sprinklers only worked for that was just oh man so so stupid and so funny um yeah what did you think about all the stuff with uh nandor and and guillermo this this uh season yeah i mean ultimately it's kind of running back their previous relationship at the end of the day and ends in a similar place before where hinting at guillermo becoming a vampire and will they go down that road? This show is renewed not only for season five, but also for season six. They don't necessarily need to really shake up the show as much as perhaps we might have thought they did, because we just had a whole season where Colin Robinson was a completely different character. And we've now progressed through that. And now we're at where we were before. Well, for all intents and purposes, maybe now Guillermo will occupy a different role. I'm not sure, but I mean, even though it's the same way it had really always been, that familiar vampire relationship is still really funny on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Guillermo had some really great moments this season, whether it was like him fighting in the night market, but not really fighting, you know, not, not wanting to actually beat these familiars or to to beat the vampires i thought was really well done that whole episode was so interesting i want them to go back to the night market and just see all the other ridiculous stuff they have going on there um also him like coming out to his family was uh i think really like well done and like really like nicely handled um and i really appreciated that um and yeah i'm interested to see if he actually goes through with it what's the, the other vampires named Derek or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the guy at the convenience store. <laughs> yeah. Um also just one other really funny gag to me was when um Nandor was about to get married and they said does anyone here object and they just like went through the objections <laughs> for like hours on end. I just I thought that was just so fucking great. The wedding is probably the episode of the season to me. Yep. I I also love um their human neighbor. I forget his name. Oh, yeah. who's just like lasso is like legitimate friend and they they re- <laughs> routinely hypnotize him as needed but that's i think his energy is great yeah he's he just is like so staten island uh like yep. jersey it's it's so perfect for the show um yeah uh, if you're not watching the show and you really like just want a, a great comedy we we can't recommend it enough so but Dave, uh, that does it for us this week. I think this is the last week we have for a while where it's we don't just have a shit ton to talk about, right? 
That's right. We are packed to the gills next week, my guy. Yeah. What we uh, got? Industry season two wrapping up on HBO. Very exciting. Talk about that more. New album from Rina Sawayama. New album from Blackpink. Atlanta season four. Uh, the Viola Davis movie, The Woman King, which has been getting rave reviews. Additional music from other people like The Beths and Death Cab for Cutie and NCT 127 releasing the same day as Blackpink. Don't know why they're doing it, but they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to it's bury the one. album. Big one. Can't wait. Uh, hit that subscribe, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Go to our Twitter at nostalgiapod and follow the link tree to follow the podcast anyway you want there. And uh, tell your friends about us. Uh, get get those subscribe numbers up. Catch you next week. Yeah.